Hello and welcome to a new series of the Grand Challenges podcast, Disruptive Voices. My name is James Paskins, and today I'm in conversation with Professor Rose Luckin, who is Professor of Learner Centre Design at the UCL Knowledge Lab, and Nimi Patel, who is Policy Manager at Tech UK. So welcome to you both, and thank you for joining me today. And we're going to be talking about AI and the future of work. So Rose, can I come to you first and just ask you about AI and the things we hear about it in the mainstream media? There are usually some quite alarming stories about how we're going to lose a lot of jobs and many people are going to be unemployed. Can you explain briefly what some of these issues are and to what extent this worry is justified? I think we need to be careful. There's a huge amount of misunderstanding about what artificial intelligence is, what it is now, what it could be, what it can do, what it can't do, what it might be able to do in the future. And it's very easy, therefore, to feel anxious about the possibilities of your job being taken by this amazingly smart robot or this incredibly intelligent system. The truth of the matter is that the world of work is changing. And in some areas, it's changing quite dramatically. And that is often at least partly due to artificial intelligence. So there certainly isn't any error in thinking that the world of work is changing, but it's not all negative. We have very good artificial intelligence systems, but they're very good in very particular ways. They're not good at everything that humans are good at. So in actual fact, as we move further through the 21st century, I think we'll see a much greater balance as we appreciate much more about how what's actually happening is trying to find the right balance of an artificial intelligence and a human intelligence that complement each other. And therefore, the artificial intelligence really augments the human intelligence, helps us to do more things better, helps us to understand ourselves more Of course, we have to intend for it to be used in that way. But I think that's really at the heart of what this project's about. It's about trying to look at the relationship between artificial intelligence and the future of work and to try and think about what the best outcomes are, given the huge potential there is for artificial intelligence to be beneficial and to try and minimise the risks of the worrying and and non-beneficial potential that AI could bring. And Nimi, how is that represented in the work that Tech UK does? Thanks so much for that, James. And just picking up on what Rose says, I think innovation will bring opportunities and challenges. There are legitimate concerns about what the impact will be on those industries that are displaced. I think what history teaches us is that automations and new technologies like AI will not replace human work, but rather transform it, boosting existing employment and creating new types of work. I think 30 years ago, there were no data scientists, 20 years ago, no search engine optimization people, and 10 years ago, no one was employed on as social media managers. And while the fourth industrial revolution has many unknowns, I think one of the tasks that we're faced with is preparing for jobs that don't exist yet. Tech UK is a tech trade association with over 830 members, and we're really trying to prepare a digital world that is inclusive for everyone and that everyone can harness the opportunities available in their digital future. I think by ensuring that everyone, no matter their age, ethnicity, gender, background and skill level, is given the opportunity to harness AI skills and new technologies, we can thrive in the future workforce and society. Wonderful. Thank you. 
So, Rose and Nimi, UCL and the British Academy are currently working together to address critical questions for the policy, business, practitioners and society on the ways that AI will affect the future and um, an equity of work in the UK. So I think this is probably a question for Rose to start with, but can you tell me a bit more about this project and how you're involved? Absolutely. I think this is an extremely important project. And it's also great to see UCL and the British Academy coming together over this, because what is the future of work in the UK going to be like? And how is AI impacting on it? Requires a really interdisciplinary group of scholars to unpack the implications, yes, for policy and business and practitioners and society, all of us, because it's impacting on everyone. So I think it's an important topic area. I think it's a great collaboration, but for me, the really, good thing is the bringing together of people from multiple disciplines from across UCL to try and look at issues such as the quality of work, the equity of work. I mean, if you take that last one, the equity of work, what are the implications of artificial intelligence for the equity of work in the UK? And how do we understand how we can help policymakers bring to bear the kinds of policy that will try and ensure that actually we do develop a more, not less, equitable workplace? What are the implications for business? And actually, where does the AI itself fit in? If you think about a situation where you have a problem that's being solved by a team of people, not an unusual thing in business, and actually some of those people aren't people, some of those people are AI. And so you've got this AI, human intelligence team working together. You know, what are the implications of that for the business? How do you make it most effective for the business? But then what's it like for the people involved in that team? And what policies need to be brought to bear to ensure that people are treated properly? And there are also people who believe that we have to think about what's the appropriate way of treating the AI. So it's a really complex space. And the only way we're going to get to grips with this is if we bring people from the multiple disciplines, multiple expertise, who not only bring different knowledge and understanding, but different ways of working to bear on these really fundamental issues for society, for the workplace. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Nimi, can you tell me a little bit about the way that Tech UK is involved in this work and and how you see the importance of this kind of research? The project that UCL and the British Academy are working on couldn't be more timely. And I'm really grateful that they invited Tech UK to the AI and Future of Work roundtable that was held late in 2020. It was a really good discussion about the different variables and different considerations that the project will need to take. And it's so important as we look to economically recover from COVID-19, I think the future of work has now shifted. And what we can do with this project is really make substantial recommendations to government and industry about collaboration, about ways of working, and how we can make it most effective to a productive workforce. A report from the House of Commons Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy Committee in 2019 asked the government to create a UK robot and AI strategy by the end of 2020. 
if the UK was to remain a global leader in new technologies. Tech UK obviously welcomed this. We actually submitted evidence to that committee, but it found that in particular SMEs saw a lack of awareness and understanding of automation and new technologies in harming business productivity. Now, this can happen for a number of reasons, including because businesses don't understand the technology that is being developed or don't prioritize it. Other times it's because the new technology doesn't fit in with existing systems. I think a project like this in an era of economic recovery from the pandemic where we've seen forced digital transformation happen can really help move the conversation and the narrative away from the robots will take our jobs and enable businesses to partially automate routine and and repetitive tasks. How much uncertainty is there regarding future developments in AI? And how do you think we can make informed political decisions now? So the UK is already a world leader in AI innovation in sectors such as health and finance, but the tech is moving fast. And in order to keep pace with other nations, and if we are to remain at the forefront of the development and application of these technologies, we've got to do more. And skills are fundamental to this. I'm very biased because I work in skills, so I think it's the most important thing ever. My colleagues who work in digital infrastructure or digital adoption may think differently. But creating a steady pipeline of tech talent is, is imperative to remaining a leader in AI and data. We must address sort of the significant mismatch between supply and demand for the digital skills in the workplace. And this is only going to increase as there's going to be more emphasis on digital transformation in organizations, especially those looking to enhance their own capabilities based on their lived experience of this crisis. This will include supporting new operating models, collaboration tools, and talent management solutions. I think over the next few months, we can expect to see a heightened degree of scenario planning around recovery and support on workplace models. I and Tech UK sort of agree that human-centric policy reform will be needed in a world where everything becomes digital. As the fourth industrial revolution, as we love to call it, charges ahead, companies will find that they can automate certain tasks, and we really encourage that, but they may discover they can get by with fewer employees. During the recession, a lot of companies downsized. And what we saw was that in many places, it was a sort of jobless recovery. The economy came back, but not all the jobs came back. Leading with people-first thinking, enabled by technology, ensures that we do not deepen the digital divide while people adjust. And that's incredibly important as we face a jobs crisis. Things that we may need to consider are things such as online safety. We do a lot of work around kind of online harms, a consultation on needs, workers' preferences, how flexibility can support, you know, in particular people with families, women, as we've seen women become more disadvantaged during this time, and the necessary digital infrastructure for this all to become a reality. Rose, can I come back to you and just ask you some more about the importance of different disciplines working together? So we have a huge range of people interested in artificial intelligence and work like this brings them together. Can you just talk about why you think that's important? Absolutely. I'd have to reflect back to when I first started studying artificial intelligence, which is way too long back for me to actually pinpoint the date, but several decades And at that point, artificial intelligence was something that you studied in an interdisciplinary way. 
because it was all about intelligence and intelligence involved needing to understand some psychology, some cognitive philosophy, some understanding of linguistics. But then, of course, you also needed to understand some theoretical computer science as well as some artificial intelligence methodologies, strategies, computer programming. And so it was a really rich interdisciplinary study area. And the key thing was to solve problems. But of course, to solve the problem, you have to understand the problem. And that's where the start of that interdisciplinarity comes in. If we think about the pandemic, you've only got to look at the things that are happening across the world to realize how many different sorts of expertise are required to deal with any of the relatively minor issues around the pandemic, let alone the major issues. How do you roll out a vaccination program? Well, you certainly can't do that without having people with an expertise in logistics, in the medical field of virology, people who understand how the vaccines work, people who understand the public health issues around it. And that's only just scratching the surface. And so when it comes to artificial intelligence, the situation is the same, only more so. Because not only do you need those multiple disciplines to understand the problem, you need that AI coming from those multiple disciplines to understand the problem and then how you might use artificial intelligence in order to tackle that problem. And I think Nimi expressed it really beautifully because she talked both about the need for the stream of tech talent, but also the human-centric workplace. So reflecting the need for us to have sociologists, organizational psychologists, and many more disciplines besides, of course, but but working around what does that mean to have this human-centric policy? What do we want in the workplace? But then, of course, you need the technical expertise to understand what it's possible for the AI to do. And, of course, many disciplines around that, because it's very important to recognize that it's one thing to say, okay, we have an artificial intelligence that is extremely good at helping us automate certain processes in the workplace. And that leads to changes in the roles that are available and the way that people work. But just because we can do something with technology doesn't mean that society will accept that. I think a classic example happened last year with the algorithm that was brought in to basically do the adjudication of students' GCSE and A-level grades. Now, some people would not even see that algorithm as AI, but I think many people would feel that it's it's this form of AI, and it's certainly related to AI, if not AI. Actually, the core issues of that weren't to do with the algorithm not doing what the algorithm was meant to do. It was actually to do with the human misunderstanding of the context, what society would accept of the historical context and the bias that it brought with it. So it's really complicated. And when things are complicated in this way, you must have multiple disciplines coming together if you're really going to stand a chance of getting a good, fair outcome. Public acceptance is a really important point. How do we communicate and educate people about AI? It's a really good question. And and actually, I think it is becoming the question. How do you give informed consent for an AI to use your data if you don't understand 
what it means for an AI to use your data, for example. I think we really have to look very carefully at this issue around public acceptance. And if we want the public to accept a role for AI, then we have to be careful not to make the assumption that somehow because the people who are commissioning that AI or people who are developing that AI know themselves that this is a jolly good thing, that's not enough. You know, the public really do need to understand and they need to understand for many reasons, but not least because whether we like it or not, there are people in the world who want to use AI for negative reasons. And unfortunately, the regulation will never keep pace with the way that the technology rolls on and the way that somebody who wants to wreak havoc will always be ahead of the regulator. So actually, there's a very practical reason to do with trying to help people prevent harm. I'm a big fan of regulation. I'm not trying to say we shouldn't be trying to develop the right regulation, but we also need an educated public so that they understand why perhaps an alarm bell should sound when they're asked for their data to be used for X, Y, or Z. And so I think this education about AI is becoming an increasingly urgent issue if we want that public acceptance to be there. And we do, but we want it to be a wise public acceptance, not a blanket public acceptance of people doing things because they're told it's good for them. They need to understand why it's good for them or why it's good for other people that they care about. And I think my final point on this would be I am really starting to understand a great deal more about how contextualized people's understanding of artificial intelligence needs to be. For example, there are some great resources out there if you want to learn about AI, and many of them are very good. But actually, what I find is that for many people, they still feel that those courses are too abstract. They can't relate it to their life. So what we really need is to find a way of helping people to see how AI is already impacting on their life and actually help them to understand it within their own context, because that will help them to be a much more informed public. And that will help to keep themselves safe, to keep the people they care about safe, but also to reap the benefits of AI. So I actually think that public acceptance, and I would call it a public education piece, is increasingly important and we need to start thinking about it a little bit differently. Brilliant. So Nimi, we're still in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic and I think that's redefined a lot of people's understanding of work. How do you think work will change in in the future and, and what part will AI play in that? Well, remote and flexible working, I think, is here to stay. I don't know how many of us will go back to the office full time. I know I won't be one of them. But I think we can enable people to work from different locations to go about doing their work while currently, you know, having caring responsibilities and increase people's job satisfactions and quality of life. I think when we talk about jobs, it's very localized. So it's very geographically restricted. That's not the case anymore. We've seen the world become much smaller in an instant when it was already quite small. Essentially, sort of platforms like, like Zoom, for instance, which we've depended on a lot since being away from the office aren't intended to replace the office but tools to keep people connected and and working flexibly and remotely for those who need it the future of work right now 
is wholly dependent on what we want it to be and making those conscious decisions going forward rather than allowing the technology to push us forward will be the best way we combat any kind of challenges with regards to the future of work. I think what we think about when we talk about work, and that's something that the UCL and British Academy project really explores, is what is good work. I'm really excited to understand more about the findings from the project, because I also would like to know what good work is and how that's changed over the last few years. Essentially, job satisfaction and sort of higher salaries, because the tech industry is a high-wage, high-skill industry, has always been one of the core components of the way the industry recruits. Now we're seeing sort of differing things come in, for instance, the possibility of removal of middle managers, the idea of using worker surveillance. There's a whole myriad of issues that we need to look, look at and see how they actually change people's approaches to work. Um, artificial intelligence crosses boundaries. So it's clear we're going to have international cooperation. What do you think the opportunities and potential challenges are in international cooperation around artificial intelligence? Yeah, interesting question. And you kind of said it in the question as well about the network nature. I mean, look across the world. And if you kind of take away the exceptions like North Korea and China and a few others, actually, technology doesn't take a lot of notice of geographical borders. And so you have this big network. And if you think about machine learning, AI, needing lots of data and the data swimming around in this huge network, obviously, I'm oversimplifying, but, but you get the drift. And I think in that situation, we have to look at international bodies to work together. And that might be, for example, about regulation. So you can see the way that the EU, for example, came up with GDPR, which is obviously not specific to AI, but is to do with data and is an important element when we think about data and AI as we move forward. And looking at the way that both the EU and the US are trying to look at how they curb some of the big tech companies, many of whom use a lot of AI in the way that they influence the way that people behave, for example. Now, they're going about it in different ways, but they are talking to each other. The fact that the different parts of the European Union, which I appreciate post-Brexit, we are not part of, but there's still cooperation around these issues of trying to ensure that we get the most effective regulation. Because the truth of the matter is nobody really understands how this is going to play out in the same way that none of us really understand how the pandemic is going to play out. We can have some good guesses about some parts of it, but not all of it. And so we have to cooperate. So the opportunities that that acceptance of international cooperation brings are the opportunities for a safer, fairer foundation for AI, which brings greater opportunities to more people and more members of society. The challenges are, of course, that different nations are different. Look at the arguments that we had over currency when there was once muted the possibility that actually we might lose the great British pound and accept the euro, which was, was never going to happen. But people get very wedded to things around culture, around their nation. And so there are still challenges. And we have to recognise and respect diversity. And that diversity is represented in those different nationalities, those different cultures. So yes, there are huge challenges. And not all of the elements of that particular challenge are things we'd want to lose. 
But that kind of makes it an even greater challenge to keep the benefits and actually try and get over that and nevertheless cooperate. So the opportunity of cooperation is definitely worth fighting for, but we shouldn't underestimate the fact that it's not necessarily going to be super easy. I want to ask so many questions about um, <laughs> how this could redefine international relations, but I think <laughs> we possibly need to do that on a different podcast. Um, right. What do you think work and artificial intelligence is going to look like in five years' time? And what are the issues we need to address on the way there? If only I had a crystal ball that I could look into, my gosh, that would be fantastic. I think AI has the opportunity to enhance people's lives. But I think we have to, you know, as Rose had mentioned throughout this podcast, we have to do it in a considered manner. And that includes exploring AI in all different ways, because we know AI is entrenched in the values that we hold. And often they can be bad values or values that judge or misrepresent groups of people in society. How we combat those issues will enable us to be better citizens and to redefine the workplace and what it means. It's a very, very interesting question. And actually, I'm going to be a bit cheeky and reframe it because I'm going to say what I'd like AI in a workplace to be like in five years' time. And I'd like it to be a much more open, equitable, transparent place where we respect each other and we all work in a culture that supports achievements, but not achievements at the cost of human well-being. And why would I frame it that way? I think at the moment, the successes in artificial intelligence have to a large extent been driven by the ways in which AI can drive big profits. And what I hope we'll have is a step back from that and a much greater emphasis on what AI can do for society. And I think if we're really going to achieve that, it comes back to my piece about education. We need everybody to understand enough about the implications for them, the potential benefits, the potential risks, if we're really going to bring society with us. And not least important by any means, we actually need our policymakers to understand more about artificial intelligence. There was a question asked in the House of Lords as a follow-up to a discussion around education. And the question was asked by Lord Tim Clement-Jones to the Conservative Party representative for education in the House of Lords. And the question was about ethics and artificial intelligence and how we ensured that data, data storage, the way data is used, design of algorithms, the application of artificial intelligence is done in an ethical way, particularly in education. And the response from the educational representative of the government in the Lords was that they understood this issue very clearly and that they would be taking cybersecurity very seriously. That reveals a huge misunderstanding about what that question was about. It wasn't anything to do with cybersecurity. It was something much more to do with artificial intelligence. Now, I don't say this to mock either of those politicians or any politician. I'm just trying to demonstrate how little people in decision-making places when it comes to policy actually understand about artificial intelligence. And I'm not blaming them. It's not their fault. Why would they understand it? Whoever helped them to understand it? So I think if we really want the best scenario for work and AI, 
we have to focus on that education piece and we have to focus on prioritizing AI that's not all about purely driving profits. We need to look at the amazing things we can do with AI to improve human well-being, human mental health, the way in which people interact together in the workplace. If they can be supported, for example, to do more of the perhaps slightly dull, tedious, repetitive jobs, and so they can actually really focus on some of the things that really uses their human intellect, their human skills, they might feel a little bit less stressed, they might feel more satisfied. Of course, it's not a panacea, and that's not the case for everybody. But I think we have to look holistically at individual people, their role in the workforce, at workforces. We have to think about what is the future workforce model that we want to build for our organisation, for society. And that's where we need to start, rather than, okay, how can we use AI to be more efficient, to drive the economy, to make larger profits? I'm not against profits. I'm just saying I think that's been too much of a priority to date, and we need to step back and think about it in a much more holistic way. Thank you, um, Rose and Nimi. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. But thank you so much for joining me and talking to me on this fascinating topic. You've been listening to Disruptive Voices from the UCL Grand Challenges. Join us next time for more. This episode of Disruptive Voices was presented by James Paskins, edited by Nina Quash, and produced by the UCL Grand Challenges. Our guests were Professor Rose Luckin and Nimi Patel. The music is by David Seste. If you like this topic, check out the latest episode of the UCL Coronavirus podcast with Dave Cook and Anna Cox. Professor Cox is also launching a brand new series on work, life and well-being called eWork Life. You can find all those and more at UCL Minds.